This episode of Climactic was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We wish to pay our respects to leaders past, present, and emerging, and we look to the traditional owners of this land, who lived in harmony with it for tens of thousands of years, as vital partners in returning to a sustainable way of life. There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Climactic. I'm your host, Mark Spencer, and today is something a bit special. We are now halfway to a century. If, if you're listening from Australia, you might be familiar with the cricket terminology. A century hitting 100 runs, we are now at a half century, and it feels so good. So being a weekly show, that of course means we're coming up on nearly the one-year mark that Climactic has been out, and we've got some really cool episodes coming up for you in the very near future. It's also a really good opportunity to say that looking back on the last 50 episodes, man, we have learned so much. We've developed so much. Thank you for being with us. If you've been with us from the beginning, if you've jumped on later, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this. This is just amazing. Uh, I know I'm speaking for both Rich and myself when I say that we, only in our wildest of dreams, would have thought we'd be here 50 episodes later, still making this show, to have on three new amazing hosts in Maxine, Georgia, and Bronwyn, to have an amazing producer in the form of Hazel. It's really truly blowing our minds, and we're so humbled by it because there are now groups coming out of the woodwork to work with us, to help promote things, to collaborate with us, and we couldn't be more grateful for that. We really are, at heart, fans and just members of this community who were just trying to find a way to give back to the community, to be a part of it, and to leverage our skills, which <laughs> if you listen back to episode one, you know we're very modest to begin with. And uh, yeah, we've gotten to the point where we're at. We've got a lot more to learn going forward. But it's just amazing to be here. Yeah, 50 episodes in. And to give you something special to sort of mark this event, uh, this is an episode with Viba. Now, Viba is, as you can imagine, is uh, is not an Australian man. He is Dutch. And he did something really, really cool. He left Amsterdam three years ago in an electric car and never went back. He's been traveling around the world on just a hope and a prayer and a battery pack. And he's been relying on the generosity of people in countries and communities all around the world. He's been through 33 countries on this journey that he left on to eventually get to Australia. Sydney was his end goal. I don't know why it was Sydney and not Melbourne. Sorry, Sydney listeners. <laughs> I just got to get it in there. But I did manage to catch up with Viba in Melbourne. And in just a couple of short weeks after you're hearing this, so I think it's mid-April, Viba will be arriving in Sydney for the culmination of this amazing trip. 
Now, I know you're going to get a lot out of this, but it's also a bit of a nice palate cleanser, honestly, from the content of the last 50 episodes, which I'm really proud of. I've learned so much from, but I'd be the first to admit it's been heavy stuff. You know, we're grappling with the climate crisis. We're grappling with that that sense of sort of existential dread these times we live in evokes in us, people who are aware of the reality of the crisis and trying to do something, anything about it, or just even to cope with it. Luckily, this episode is a lot more about one epic road trip with a great mission to show that EVs, electric vehicles, are not only possible and practical, but fun, and you can have adventures in them, and range anxiety is, is nothing more than a figment of the imagination, and I think it does it. I got really excited by this. I, I can't wait to, in the near future, potentially have an EV of my own and get to drive guilt-free, but in saying that, we will get into life cycle analysis of cars later on down the track. We will look at their sustainability. And there is a couple of really good videos, actually, that I found online that you can check out in the show notes to get into that side, which I understand if you're going to be listening to this episode about electric vehicles and we're talking about how great they are, there will be a fair few of you out there who, like me, would be like, well, what about the flip side? How sustainable are they really? So there are a couple of resources in the show notes that get into that. I don't want to at all whitewash or greenwash what EVs mean, but at least you will know some more of the facts. And through this interview, you will hear the story of an enthusiast, the story of an adventurer. And it really is inspiring and fun. And I'm so happy to be bringing it to you now. So without further ado, here is my interview with Viba Vakar. Uh, might be saying that wrong. Of Plug Me In. Sure. Say your name? Viba Walker. Okay. Eddie. Excellent. Yeah. So, Viba. Yeah. Where where are we right now? We're on uh Baran. Hey, I, Pre- I, Pre- I Ren. Yeah, I, I work in Baran. This is like my oh, yeah. neck of the woods and Oh good. So you've just where have you rolled in from? I mean you you left <laughs> you left the Netherlands three years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm always celebrating my birthday next week. What is it? Six today. Fifteenth yeah. of March two thousand and sixteen. I left. So only nine days and then it's uh it's the two anniversary. Years, three years on the road. Yeah. Jeez. It's insane. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So uh, let's work backwards and make people very confused because I'll have a little intro kind of explaining who you are yeah, and, okay. and how you got here. So when did you arrive to Australia? Uh, that was in June last year. Okay, so you've been trekking around a while. So, yeah, yeah. So with the goal being from Netherlands to Australia, you, you've made the Australian part Yeah. You know, with a bit of time to spare. Yeah. You've just been putting off the end for a while, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I was, so it was my goal to, to reach Sydney. I wanted to finish in Sydney. At some point, I reached uh, Newcastle. Which was just like less than 200k from, from <laughs> Sydney. But I thought, I'm having too much fun. And uh, it's so exciting. So I thought I'd go there. Uh, Back into the outback. So from Newcastle, went to Broken Hill, Adelaide, and now Melbourne. And so I've been like <laughs> looping around uh, Sydney for a while. But now the, the date is set for the arrival in Sydney. It's on April 7th. Mm-hmm. Got a beautiful location just confirmed yesterday at the Botanic Gardens, right on the edge with the Opera House and a nice view of the, uh, of the house, uh, the, the bridge. Iconic as. And, uh, yeah, it was insane. Like I, I was looking for an epic location. And uh, I saw that, and then researched like, oh, it will cost twenty-two thousand dollars to rent it for one day. <laughs> so, uh, You're so like, my, hmm, my not whole, quite in the my budget. Whole, yeah, my whole trip we talk about it later has been a bit like it's completely like community based. Like people are supporting me, 
And sometimes companies uh, offer me support. So I thought, like, I just send a blunt message, like, hey, guys, uh, I'm doing this trip. I already got international media confirmed who want to cover my trip. Can we, can you, can, can we do something? And he said, yeah, we want to help you out. We can offer, we can offer you to uh, host your, uh, your arrival event here. And that was like, wow, insane. Yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, you got so close. You got within, like, half a charge of Sydney when you were yeah. in Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. So how far west have you got in Australia? I uh, started in Darwin. Mm-hmm. was uh, landed in Darwin. Uh, drove from Darwin to Perth, so over the west coast. And then I went to cross the Nullarbor to Port Augusta. And from Port Augusta, I went up again to Uluru, Alice Springs. And then Alice Springs, Tennant Creek to uh, Queensland. We arrived in uh, Rockhampton. And then Rockhampton, Brisbane, Newcastle. And then that loop, uh, what I just mentioned. Yeah, so... Uh, so, you know, you, you realize probably that since last June, you've seen more of Australia than a lot of Australians yeah, have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And to, and to a lot of us, it's like, well, those are road trips we'd love to do, but, oh, God, it'd be so expensive with fuel and, like... Yeah. It's got to be the elephant in the room, right? People are saying, like... How did you keep your car charged yeah, that whole time? I have spent about 300 bucks on the Australia leg of uh, <laughs> powering my car with electricity. That's, that's, a, um, that's a meal around here in these parts in Perrin, yeah, man. Yeah, You're yeah, doing yeah, very well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, how do I do that? So yeah, the whole, whole idea about my trip is that I, um, I had this idea to, to travel and uh, have some kind of goal. So my, I was studying events management at the University of Arts in Holland. And um, they had the opportunity to finish my uh, study in a, what they call the entrepreneur's lab. So then you write your thesis about starting your own company or in my case, your own project. Uh, so I wanted to, had this dream to travel around the world, but I wanted to combine it with stuff I le- learned at school, like concept development, storytelling, creating experiences uh, with my own interests for photography, videography, and uh, environment. And um, yeah, in Holland, we started to talk about electric cars. And I thought, like, wow, that's something cool. They not only look really nice, they're super fast, super silent, but they also yeah, have no pollution, so it's better for cities. Uh, but I saw that the uptake of electric cars was going quite slow, mainly because there are a lot of prejudices about electric cars. People assume they're not reliable or uh, not fit to cro- cover long distances. So I thought, hey, that's maybe I can do my bit to... Uh, yeah, bust those myths. So I thought I wanted to do something, uh, yeah, which really speaks to the imagination, which yeah was like driving from Amsterdam to Sydney in an electric car, and to make it a bit more challenging, do it without money. So I set off on this challenge to yeah drive to the other side of the world without money in an electric car. And how I do that is like I, I with a friend I build a website, and uh, uh, there people uh, can support me. They, there's a map that they can select a location and support me by offering a meal, place to sleep, or electricity for the car. And um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so far about 2,000 people offer that from 45 different countries. And all those offers determine the route to down under. So I went from Holland to Italy, uh, from Italy to the top of Scandinavia, and then from there to Eastern Europe, uh, across the Middle East, India, and Southeast Asia. And uh, finally, yeah, and I reached Darwin uh, on a boat coming from uh, East Timor. Yeah, so that's... Uh, basically how I got to Australia also. And Australia has been the most generous country. There have been 400 people who signed up. But the challenge still was that uh, 99% of them live 
in one of the bigger cities. Mm. Uh, so like in the outback, like between, for example, between Darwin and Perth, I had like three offers or so. And it was like, I don't know, nearly 3000K or something. Uh, when I come to a place where nobody offered me anything, I just knock on somebody's door or start talking with people. It's like, hey, can you share a meal with me? Or can I plug my car into your socket? And uh, mostly that's all right. Uh, Australia has been more, more challenging because like, Distances are quite fast, and then there's only one roadhouse. And yeah, if they are a bit grumpy, they say, uh, "Yeah, no, bugger <laughs> off, we won't help you." So then I don't have uh, yeah, another option. You know, while normally I'm in a town, and you have more options to ask. Uh, so I've been lucky that the Australian Electric Vehicle Association and the Tesla Owners Club donated me some money. They said, "Like, yeah, we know how challenging it is here, so you have some money in case you need to pay for accommodation or electricity. It's kind like of that. like bridging gaps and yeah. get you out of spots like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Obviously, that there's there's so many questions to follow up with that, but like sort of yeah. straight off the bat, you know, you, you set out on this goal to kind of demystify electric vehicle ownership and show they are more practical than a lot of people were thinking. Yeah. But where did your kind of confidence in electric vehicles and in their practicality come from yourself? Did you uh, you weren't already an EV owner or did you know people who were? Had you had much experience with EVs before this? I, I was just a very stupid guy. <laughs> 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 and I think that has been my major advantage. Uh, recently, I, 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 saw, I read some quote on Instagram or something and it was like the best... Uh, skill as an adventurer you have is to be very yeah, uninformed or something but, uh, naive naive yeah 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 naive that's the word I was looking for and uh, yeah I just I had no idea I thought yeah it's a car and uh, that I just start driving and then <laughs> see how far it goes and if there's any problems then uh, yeah, sure I traveled before and then you learn that uh, yeah, if you have a problem there is always a solution and mm. uh, it has been the case in my journey also uh, yeah, I had, had a few challenges along the way with the car. Yeah, just two weeks before I started the trip, I learned how to replace a uh, tire, which was yeah, about the only thing I knew about cars. Had you been and a car owner or a car user no, before I never, this? No, no, no. It, where mm. do you live in the Netherlands, in Holland? Mm. I live in Haarlem, which is about 20k from Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just drove off and started. Uh, we'll see how far I go. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So like, yeah. there, there's a lot about the car I'm really curious about, but I think we can sort of go out the front a bit and, and have yeah. a chat about it. But sort of straight off the bat, where, where did the car come from? How, how did you come into possession of this yeah. um, so this I was, speed? Yeah, so yeah, as a, as a poor student, I, I could not afford a car myself. So I, I was looking for a sponsor for that. Uh, first contacted all kinds of uh, car manufacturers who had produced electric vehicles. And uh, a few were interested, but the end it didn't work out. Uh, so then I thought like, oh, I, I need some sponsors so I can afford a second-hand uh, Nissan Leaf or something and uh, so I contacted all kind of companies and asked them uh, if they were interested in a sponsor and one of the first I called was Bundles which is a um, paper use laundry idea um, so it's like circular circular, circular laundry so they uh, provide washing machines and you don't pay for the machine but you pay every time you use it so you, you pay for the service and not for owning it and they keep the maintenance and everything. So explained the guys what this guy what I was planning to do. And I uh, was asked him if he was interested to sponsor that. And he said, well, I don't have money, but I have an electric car. So that's how I got my car. And history of the car is it's uh, there was a Dutch utilities company 
uh, back in 2008 who heard about vehicle-to-grid technology. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, that is something interesting uh, for an electricity company. We might can do something with that. Um, so just for people who don't know that, this is the idea of using vehicles kind of as batteries for the grid. So yeah. the charge that's in batteries can potentially, when you plug in, you're not necessarily going from the grid to the car. But if yeah. it's in times of high demand or it needs some, some stability in the grid, the power yeah. comes out of the car and back into the grid. Is, exactly. Is that right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Per- that's perfectly correct. So, they, yeah, they wanted to, to research that and because there were not factory EVs at that moment who had the technology, they decided to convert 50 of these uh, petrol Volkswagen Golfs to fully electric. And um, this guy used to work for that company and... Yeah, probably managed to get one of these cars when he left the company or something and started bundles. So that's, uh, they basically took out the uh, engine and the fuel tank and replaced it with a battery and electric motor. Uh, so there's a 37 kilowatt hours battery, which gives me a range of about 200 kilometers, uh, top speed of 180 kilometers an hour, which is pretty good Tested, for a station. Tested, verified, wagon, uh, 180 kilometers yes, an hour? Uh, this, yeah, 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 on a German, on the on Autobahn. And, uh, probably, probably outside Alice Springs as well, right? Yeah, Nottebor, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's quite easy here to uh, to find a stretch where you can. Uh, That's right. Play I mean, not not a it. person in sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so this this whole thing. I mean, like the look of the car is that you know it's a big full size car. I I saw that. You know, we'll talk about the badge on the front and everything. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I could you know tell it was a V Dub, and I thought, oh, this is some. Either I, did, I didn't know if VW was selling sort of that model. I thought it was something big and new and okay. and big extended range for you to pull off this amazing journey. But no, yeah. a 200 kilometer range, that's it. Yep, and uh, yeah, it's a car from 2009. Mm. So it's really a first generation electric vehicle. And uh, It's a retrofit. Yes, yeah. And uh, yeah, it did really well. It uh, did now 225,000 kilometers fully electric. And uh, yeah, still going going strong so so do you have to give it back when you get back yeah 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 he's 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 a guy who really wants to drive it again that's gonna be a hard moment yeah yeah we came really close during this trip yeah you know maybe you can you know still take it on the weekends or something or or visit it i hope so yeah yeah yeah. we should uh plan some uh some dates or something with her (laughs) (laughs) yeah Okay, so that's that's the car. That's that's amazing Ooh. by itself. So, how did it start? Kind of early days. So your your friend sort of helped you made this website. And yeah. How did it go? Kind of starting to promote it. What was kind of was it quite a slog at the start? And uh, then... Yeah. So I made another friend. I made a, a trailer uh, in which I explained like my, the concept of my trip in about ninety seconds, and uh, yeah, also didn't have any marketing budget or something to to push that. So I just started sharing that video in Facebook groups related to electric cars or sustainability or uh, blogs and everything. And in the beginning, it were especially uh, EV drivers who were uh, super enthusiastic about my trip. So they started sharing my idea and also signed up on my website. Yeah, so it it spread uh, along the way. And uh, uh, when I left on the 15th of March, I had about 200 offers, uh, mainly coming from... Uh, yeah, countries around Holland uh, by the time also yeah, some crazy countries like Mongolia, Thailand, Iraq, where somehow people find out about me, I don't know how. And uh, so that yeah, enabled me to, for the first four months, to drive every day from one guy who offered me something to, to another one. And then first challenge, I was in Norway, where there was a stretch of about 800k where no, nobody had offered me something. And um, 
yeah, from then I just use social media to get around. So what I normally do before I enter a new country is that I post on my Facebook page like, hey guys, uh, next week I'm arriving in Australia and uh, my first challenge will be to go from Darwin to Perth. Can you help me out? And then uh, people share that message or they text someone like, hey, uh, uh, Joe, you live in Broome. Uh, this guy is coming uh, there. Can you help this guy out? And that uh, yeah, often works sometimes, especially Asian or some Eastern European countries. Yeah, probably because of the language barrier or something. Or yeah, yeah you're, you're maybe not always using the right social to... network for the for the market as well. Like in some of the Eastern yeah. European countries, all are using different networks. And... Yeah, it could be. And uh, yeah, it's one of the challenges. But I, I ex- of course I expected uh, I didn't did not expect that I would uh, find every two hundred kilometers someone like. Then I will be, uh, yeah, could make me marketing director of Tesla or something <laughs> if I had <laughs> managed to, uh, to do that. That would be a bit insane. So, and I enjoy that also. Like when I don't find, when nobody sign up, then I just go to a town and uh, yeah, knock on somebody's door and uh, talk with people on the streets and to ask if they can help me out. And Europe, I often would go to IKEA because they have big parking uh, lots with a roof and, uh, in, and, uh, EV, and EV charges in every European IKEA they have EV charging points and then if I was lucky I could still uh, pick up the free Wi-Fi signal and my post selfies like hey guys I'm, I'm spending the night here in uh, IKEA tonight uh, yeah I can relate. Yeah. So, um, you know, it wasn't an EV but my wife and I we 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 were in China for a couple of years and then we had this this Chinese street cat that we did oh. that we were bringing back and we were moving to the UK didn't want to fly into the UK because it would have been like six months quarantine. Oh, wow. But we okay. flew into to Schiphol. Yeah. We bought a camper there and we were going to drive it over because oh. we found a loophole oh, in the cool. system. So it was oh. going to be over the land border, no issues. Oh, under, under clever. Okay. So we bought this camper van and we're like, oh, we don't have to stay somewhere. So we slept in the uh, the Utrecht IKEA oh, yeah. ca- uh, parking lot. So oh, okay. oh, <laughs> I, I can enough. relate okay. in my own little way. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So uh, how many nights would you say? Or, or what percentage roughly because it's been a long three years I'm sure but like roughly speaking what percentage of time did things go right where you were sort of sleeping at a host's place with a uh, billet uh, or sleeping in the car or sleeping kind of you know yeah, you were yeah. between help yeah um, I think uh, maybe 60 to 70 percent it went right mm. yeah fantastic um were there any nights oh, you sort of... Bit, I don't know. Hard to say. Good question. Yeah, it's uh, probably uh, sort of really molded in your head over the last three yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, it's been a bit of a rush also. You know? and, uh, <laughs> but yeah, something like 70% actually. Like in Asia, uh, often like when I stayed at somebody, then talked about my route and they said, oh yeah, we will, we will know somebody in a, in a, in a town uh, 200k from here or something. Yeah. And that's how I mostly I got around. What was the longest you stayed in one place? Yeah, I stayed in Dubai for three months uh, because there I had the challenge that uh, I needed money to ship the car because I could not continue by land from mm-hmm. there. Uh, so I found a job at an events company, worked for them for two months and also found some sponsorship which enabled me to ship the car. And then later I got to Kuala Lumpur where I had the same uh, challenge as I needed uh, some money to afford all the various ferries to Indonesia and eventually the shipment to Australia which was going to be quite expensive so I was in Kuala Lumpur stayed for a while 
at various side jobs, like working as an extra for TV commercials and uh, wow. uh, doing all kinds of weird, <laughs> st- weird, weird uh, jobs. And eventually find a actually an energy company again who uh, yeah, wanted to sponsor me and that enabled me to yeah, get enough funds to continue the trip. In Indonesia and Surabaya, I had some problems with the car and then I, had to, I stayed three months in, in the same place. Yeah, so yeah. while you're getting those resolved and the car ready to get underway mm. again. Have you been home at all in the last three years? Uh, just one time for a family emergency. Mm. Uh, Sorry it was last August when I was in Perth. I went home just for four days. Wow. And then back to Perth. Yeah. <laughs> so have there been times you felt pretty homesick? or No, no, it's no, been no. too no. exciting. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really, yeah, every day is completely different and always an adventure. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, I don't have, really have time to be homesick. No, no. fair enough. Yeah. So how many times have First you... First time was this morning, actually. Really? Yeah. Because the end's in sight now. I was, I was watching Ajax, and it was not on TV, and there was this really crappy... I could only watch it on a crappy live stream, <laughs> which was uh, lagging all the time. So I was really annoyed, and we were winning, and I was super enthusiastic. And I thought, oh, I want to be with my friends in a pub at the moment to watch yeah. uh, that game. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So in, in case the audience didn't pick that up, this is the, um, the, the soccer, the football from back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we beat so Real Madrid. You can, you can take a crazy a qu- Dutchman anywhere, a, but if you can't yeah. wash your footy, uh, yeah. Then, yeah. then you'll be... be uh, this was home. big. We were in the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time in 22 years. Yes. So this is something uh, yeah, really big. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So, God, what a trip. What a, like, how many times have, or, like, or how often do you find yourself in a place where you're like, yeah, I, I could live here. Or are you pretty happy uh, to move on to the next place? Yeah, only up in Australia, I think. Mm. So the only other place besides where I could live besides Holland would be Australia. I love Asia. I found Asia fascinating. But uh, for a trip, I could not settle down there, I think. Yeah. And so then, yeah, Australia is, yeah, like, culture-wise, very similar to what we're used to in Europe. Yeah. And then, uh, but it's, yeah, it's a bit nicer here. <laughs> yeah. It is. And it's funny you say that because it's like so many Australians that have this, like, fantasy of, like, ah, oh, you know, when I'm a bit older, I'll, I'll go to, you know, one of the islands of Indonesia. I'll go, you know, sort oh, yeah. of bar in Bali or something. And oh, yeah. The, like, the, the grass is greener for them on that side. Yeah. But, well, um, Bali is a bit of a little Australia. Yeah, very much <laughs> so, just yeah. colonized it. It's, yeah, it's even a fetchy mite over there. It's crazy. <laughs> you imported red poison to Indonesia. Oh, good, good road tar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did your friends think then when you sort of started doing this and started talking about it? And what do they think about it now? Yeah, they were really excited because uh, for a long time I, I wanted to do a different trip. And uh, like every week I came up with a different idea. And all the time it was like... Hmm. I don't, I don't think it works or you know, should change that and then at some point I came with this concept and then it was like wow that's good you, know, you should go for that so they were pretty excited and uh, yeah when I celebrated my first birthday they they transferred some money uh, second second birthday on the road I didn't get anything <laughs> <laughs> like oh he yeah. doesn't need it <laughs> yeah. uh, they forgot a bit about me I guess And uh, but yeah we're still in touch and uh also this morning they uh 
<laughs> they uh, because of that live stream they did on on on, face, on Skype they put their phone in front of the TV screen so I could watch it and everything. So. Oh, nice! Oh, I <laughs> yeah. see. So yeah, I cannot stop watching that. We're talking about this match. Yeah. The, the quality makes sense now. If you're mm. watching. Yeah. <laughs> Bootleg stream. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. How has it been like, kind of keeping in touch with them and family and stuff? Because we all like to say, oh, you know, the world's much smaller now. We've got a lot yeah. better technology for keeping in touch. Social media is great. Yeah. Have you found it to be like? Could you imagine doing this ten years ago? No, impossible. Mm. Like this trip, like yeah, I really show. I really needed social media. Without social media, I would never have been able to to get uh, here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been really easy to stay touching friends with all this technology like Skype and WhatsApp, and mm-hmm. uh, even from the from Uluru, you can call uh, to Holland through uh, to WhatsApp for. Cause it doesn't cost you anything, actually. No, that's yeah. right. You can watch the soccer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've probably gotten very good at this, of, of sort of arranging this trip through social media over the last three years. And, of course, your degree and everything was in, in event management. So when yeah. people kind of come to you offering, like, hey, will you be my advisor? Will you be, like, a consultant to us and uh, do something like this? Has there been any, any um, interest? I had some job offers along the way, mm-hmm. uh, mostly from EV-related companies any interest and, uh, of, nah, of yours? <laughs> if, if i will to decide to work for a, uh, a bus then i will do it but yeah. after t- doing this for three years on my own and, and freedom and yeah i really uh, appreciate the freedom i have and so i have some ideas to start an own consulting company or yeah more something also related to sustainable mobility mm-hmm. uh, so that's what i want to to do when I get back home. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was thinking that sort of with, you've got the, the framework, the foundation of the trip is, is the car. But then I was thinking like, you know, there've been times you've had like, you know, an electric bike or anything on, on the back or on the, on a roof rack or something. Is there, would there have been a way to kind of fit in another aspect where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going everywhere point to point in the car, but then to, to explore a town I'm getting into, I'm taking this, yeah. this electric scooter by this yeah, company yeah, yeah. or this bike by that company. Yeah, I've thought about it actually. And, uh, or have one of these, uh, things that you put on your feet with two wheels and it rolls. There's the, the, the hoverboards. The hoverboards, stuff yeah. like that. I yeah. thought like that is still electric kind yeah. of thing. And then I could use that for commuting like in, inside of Melbourne or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, never bumped into anything like yep. that during a trip. So, yeah. Well, but uh, no, now, uh, now I stay with this too. Dutch guy, and I always borrow his bike yep. to get into the city. Yeah. 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 Fair. So the guy where we're staying at the moment, this is this is a Dutch guy's yep. house. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, whatever his name yeah. is, <laughs> for letting us into your home. Uh, so did, was he uh, contact through the site, or did you yeah. already know him? Yeah, he signed up on my website also. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, he said, uh, yeah, you can stay here basically as long as you want. So been here for a week and a half or so. Fantastic. Yeah, it's really nice. And and his dog is like m- the biggest fan of me in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Won't leave me alone. So, with people contacting you through the site. And you said it's sort of all been somewhat organic, but was there any big moments where, like, you got media coverage or, like, was there any kind of big... Because um, I know from for, for my perspective, you know, this, this podcast has been around for 10 months and, you know, there's yeah. more people involved and it is growing, but it can hard to be hard to sort of feel sometimes, like, if you're, say, on a, on a growth curve, yeah. you're like, okay, well, in, you know, five years I'll be up here. Yeah. But then, like, it's really hard to predict when that that curve yeah. will just 
change trajectory and it'll yeah. be exponential. And like, yeah. have, have there been kind of moments you remember where it's like, oh, this happened, and then whoa, yeah. all of a sudden, a lot more people were contacting yeah. me. Yeah, I find out that because I get quite good, uh, or quite good, I get often I get some media coverage, mm-hmm. and I found that. Uh, if I get featured in newspaper or television or radio, uh, that that doesn't do much on my following mm-hmm. or on people offering me place to stay uh, somehow. Like that doesn't trigger to people to go to my website or follow me on Facebook or something. Yeah, so it mostly helps when people share my message online. Mm-hmm. So it's really true online. And if somebody else online talks about my my project, like some kind of influencer or something who is enthusiastic about what I'm doing, then I often see a big spike in my page views or following or people offering me stuff. And the biggest one was uh, I, had, uh, I had featured in an episode of Fully Charged, which is... I was a, about to uh, say, man, if those guys had gotten on to you, and they yeah, did. They Jeez. did, yeah, yeah, yeah. They made Huge. A, I met them in Dubai, and uh, they made an episode about me. So that's an online YouTube channel about... Yeah, everything related to electric cars. So, I can't wait to go back and watch that now yeah, and be like... Yeah, cool. Because otherwise yeah. I'd watch that and be like, oh, that guy's so cool, what a cool project. Oh, I'll never yeah. talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and that did really well. Like that, at that time, doubled my YouTube subscribers. So I went from like a mere... 300 at that time to, to 600 so it still not was not that much but yeah, that's a doubling of, of yeah my that's, that's so a lot more really people to then tell their friends yeah uh, i got a lot of offers and still like especially in australia but even in asian countries i've stayed with people who found out about me through the through that ep- uh, fully charged episode and uh yeah so that did really well uh, also have had some of my own uh, so i'm during a trip i'm engaging with sustainable initiatives and make like short explainer-like videos for that, which I place uh, on Facebook. And had a few that went viral. Also, that really helped uh, grow my my audience. Yeah, so so being able to kind of tell stories as you go and also sort of use your storytelling skills for other groups to help them, which then just makes it very easy for them to promote you and have a good reason to. That's fantastic. That's really good advice. So... I think like someone could maybe do. Do you think if someone kind of wanted to do this trip now, yeah, if they kind of you know just took a lot of inspiration from what you've done and kind of sort of copied uh-huh. your playbook, do you, th- uh. do you think that it, it's it's yeah. it's not an easy thing to do because you're away from home for so long and you'll yeah. have to kind of deal with uncertainty. Yeah, but, right. Yeah, well, so in that way, I, when I when I started ship, I thought, yeah, this is something what what everyone can do. Like, why not? But now I have talked about it with so many people, and I think for many people it's a, yeah, a big obstacle to be away for a home uh, so for such a long time or to live with the uncertainty. Like I have days that I start driving and have no idea where I would end the day or where, if I will sleep, where I will sleep, if I will get some food and everything. I think for, mm-hmm. yeah, for some people that's a big step. And uh, yeah, in, in terms of copying the project, yeah, I think... Yeah, you, it wouldn't be so 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 creative if you would copy it. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah I'm I not, not proposing. There's like, there plenty of people who <laughs> didn't hear about me on my trip, so mm, yeah, yeah. You, you could do they it. With but I would smack him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you made a really good point there about you know there's days where you just start driving, you're not sure where you're going, where you're going to sleep that night, what's going to happen. Yeah. And what's that? What, like, so you kind of started the project to 
to battle the idea of range anxiety. Yeah. But you you yeah. must be feeling it, right? Like on days like that where you're not sure where your next charge is coming from. No. I had a, every K that ticks down off that battery, you're not sure where the power yeah. is coming back into it from. Yeah, so I had that only like range anxiety in the first, first two weeks or so. Like, because I, I didn't know that car really well and didn't know mm-hmm. how it worked out. But I find it very easy to find somewhere to plug it in once you run out. Especially in Europe and Asia where the population is very dense after a while. I felt very comfortable to drive until I have like 4% battery left. And then I'm sure that I'll find a house or building, I don't know, or uh, something where I can plug the car into. So I moved from range anxiety to range excitement. (laughs) That's how (laughs) how I call my uh, my trip. So I call it range anxiety, like exploring the benefits and uh, beautiful things to see within the range of your EV. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Like, and you can't drive longer than sort of two hours at highway speeds at a stretch anyway. Yeah. So yeah. You don't really get sick of driving. You, you don't sit down at your driver's seat and know that, yeah. okay, I'm going to drive for the next six hours because you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I did in Australia because, yeah, the distance were so fast. And, uh, like, in the, in the South Australian part, yeah, it's, it's beautiful to, to drive there, but sometimes it's really boring that because I just wake up in the morning at a roadhouse and then drive to the next roadhouse and then I have to stay there overnight so I can in the morning go to the next roadhouse and everything. So yeah, then you see like only a few roadhouses in, in a week while other people just uh, do, that, do, that, do that distance in, in one day. Yeah. So that's, yeah, so that's sometimes a bit like, oh, I want to wish I could go a bit, bit faster. Yeah. yeah. So that's just a uh, yeah, lack of infrastructure. Yep. I guess it's not really, some people say like, yeah, you're promoting electric cars, but then yeah, you're showing that it goes so quick, uh, uh, slow. Mm-hmm. And I always answer, yeah, that's not a problem with the car, but it's lack of infrastructure in this in this case. Yeah. So right. I think, yeah, Australia needs to step up a little bit to make it more convenient for electric car drivers to go for long distances in Australia. I, I just, I think the, the problems that are insurmountable, I mean, we don't have enough sun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a big problem in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, where is this all this potential energy coming from? It's yeah. not falling down on us all the time. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. If only it was available for free or something. Yeah, well, yeah. Just solar highways everywhere. Just Ooh. you know. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the potential is there, and and I think you have done a really good job of showing that where the infrastructure is. Yeah. It works amazingly already. Yeah. What were some of the best areas you found for sort of the infrastructure side? You know, not just in Australia, but... Yeah, well, yeah, of course, for Australia, it was definitely Queensland. And they have the super electric highway over there, so... I haven't uh, even heard about this. Really? No. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, in this case, this really, is... really good. Hey. The initiative from, uh, yeah, the Queensland government and some companies who uh, yeah, installed a network of uh, fast charges all the way from Cairns to the border with uh, New South Wales and did places one every 200k which yeah, was for me perfect of course even though I cannot uh, fast charge and my car can only do AC charging no DC but still they have also an AC charger at uh, those fast charging sites and then I can top up my car in like four hours so that's really good because then uh, I, I can do 400k on a one day which which is for me it feels like a lot mm-hmm. um, yeah besides Australia uh you have to say my own country of the Netherlands, which has a really good network. Like we have now, I believe, three charging stations for each electric car at the moment. Wow. So, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the wrong ratio. 
So, yeah. yeah, the, the amount of electric cars really can explode now, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, and uh, so that's really good. And then other countries like Norway, Sweden, Sweden uh, Ukraine, to my surprise, with that really good network. Wow. And then there are a few Asian countries like the United Arab Emirates, where they had a decent network, and Malaysia also, where there were lots of charging stations, but nobody driving an electric car, to my surprise, which I found very funny. Yeah. That's really interesting, and, mm. and I you don't I wouldn't hear about that otherwise. I, I've got sort of no information flowing into my kind of bubble saying, yeah. "Hey, do, do you know Malaysia has a good EV charging network?" Yeah. No. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. I like even following kind of you know Tesla news and stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't really I haven't gone looking for like a breakdown of sort of EV sales by country. I know that. Uh, you know, from spending time in China, that EVs like already in terms of personal mobility with with e bikes and everything is yeah. huge yeah. and amazing. But everyone just has plugs they put out their window of up to like a seven story apartment. You just put a oh, very yeah. long cord out your window yeah, yeah, yeah. and charge your bike down on the ground. Yeah, that's I have to do that. I do that often. I also have to charge my car. Yeah. How how big is the cable we're talking here for a, for a DC uh, charged car? Uh, for DC car, charge car? Yeah, so the charging on your car is... is AC. It is AC, okay. Yeah, so AC. DC allows for fast charging, yeah. AC doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. AC is just what, what the, the normal grid. Yep. And so then, you can't just plug into a wall plug, though, can you? Yeah, you, you can. can. Yeah, okay. of course. Yeah, yeah. otherwise I would never have made it here. Yeah. Because uh, plenty of countries where there was no infrastructure at all. So yep. uh, basically, if you I've can turn on a light or power a toaster, you can charge your car. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This might and, take uh, a while. Yeah, that takes about fifteen hours in, uh, yeah. with the Australian grid because you have only ten amp with the domestic sockets. Do you remember what the and slowest charge you ever got was? Yeah, fifteen fifteen hours. Yeah. That's the okay. slowest one. Ah, uh, sorry, no, not true. In India, I had one place there was only four amp available. And so it took five days <laughs> to charge a car. <laughs> yeah, that was really a backwards. backwards you of. you could actually run the numbers on that and work out it would have been quicker to walk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then yeah. that that yeah. two hundred kilometers costing you five days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, how do you find out the amps? Do you test it yourself? Oh uh, no, you just plug it, plug the car into a socket, and then you will see. You know. <laughs> okay, so yeah. it'll it'll tell you in the car what kind of amps you're getting yeah, into the battery. Of, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. What was the longest you ever had to wait for a charging station? If you remember like any of those times where you pull into a charging station and oh, everything's full and no one's fast charging and you'd have to wait for hours and hours. Was that a thing you encountered? Oh, like that there's another car yeah. charging and I had to wait. Oh, uh, that didn't happen much. No. It was basically like 99% of the time I just charge at, at the hosts where I'm staying. Yeah. So uh, the charging station is just like a... Yeah, bonus or something. If I if I find that, yeah, yeah. And there's there's not that many other EVs sort of competing for those charging spots. No, yeah. no, 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 no. So I'm glad you did not it yet. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've seen some pictures now from in Holland where there are charging stations, and then there's a queue. Yeah. For, for the fast charges along the highways, so that, that's that's happening. Yeah. yeah. The the thing I heard about was over this winter in the states there was some. Some big American pickup truck drivers being uh, very unfriendly yeah. to the EV community and parking yeah. their, you know, F one fifties in front of charging stations. Yeah. 
then yeah. you probably would have seen the videos of, of yeah, the Teslas towing them out of the way. Yeah. It didn't matter if the truck threw the handbrakes on or not. Yeah. It was just got him out of there yeah. casually. How have you found the actual driving? And there's probably not a lot you can compare it to in terms of non-electric to electric. But have you found, like, have you been on any particularly great stretches for the driving experience? And how did you find the car? Did you feel like a like a rally driver? Or? A rally driver? Uh, no, nah, I always drive uh, pretty safe yep. with, this, with this car. So just never you know, one do of those weird winding uh, roads, though. Just oh, yeah, like, but like Great Ocean Road or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 beautiful. Yeah. And also, like, in Indonesia, you have these, these tropical islands where you go, like... And often, yeah, the roads can be a bit bad or something. Yeah, but, uh, and, but the yeah, car handled well, didn't feel really heavy, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a tank with the batteries or no, anything? No, not at all. No, it's really good because, uh, yeah, the battery is on the bottom of the car. So you have a very low center of gravity, which is for the handling of the car. It's just, yeah, really good. Yeah. How about running out of charge yeah. when the driving stops? Yeah. Uh, what was, like, the closest you came to a charge? Mm. But but you ran out before you got there. Yeah, so uh, that was in Australia. The biggest distance I had to cover was 255 kilometers from uh, in South Australia from Glendembo to Kurupiti. And uh, yeah, so just 255k without anything. Yeah, in if, if your destination so, is Kurupiti, you're really yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I really had to calculate everything. And uh, I checked on my weather app and I saw that. Uh, in 12 hours time uh, there will be I would have a tailwind so I waited 12 hours to start a drive and I uh, drove 60 kilometers an hour all the way to save as much as energy so yeah road trains were not really my friend that day yeah eventually I did a record I did 235 kilometers I think it's a problem there so, though because yeah that's <laughs> still 20 kilometers short of uh, getting to Cooper I'm no mathematician and, uh, but <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I ran out and I put a lot of, on a lot of sunscreen and I put up my thumb and I wait for somebody to pass by and uh, I had to wait 10 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And then somebody stopped and uh, yeah, gave me a tow into town. Yeah. And it's often a funny situation because I explained to them, yeah, I drive an electric car, my battery is empty, cannot drive, can you help me out? But when they tow me, uh, the car regenerates, uh, yep. uh, charges because of regenerative braking yeah so uh, because so then, the wheels are moving it's spinning yeah. a brush which is powering up the battery slowly yeah yeah and then so then i arrived in cooper pd and i was like okay mate thanks for the tow and then i drove off so <laughs> then you get a, a lot of weird faces like hey what is this guy been doing yeah but i explained him of course yeah look, look thank you for the tow. i'm about to drive away now here's yeah. why don't chase me down yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing yeah. so how you know, like how far were you able to go after, like you know, a a tow of twenty k's? Uh, yeah, quite good. I got like twenty five percent or so. Fantastic. Yeah, so it's it's faster because my uh, normally I can charge at the rate of maximum six kilowatts. Uh, but this was when this was like thirteen or fourteen or something. So yeah, it's really very good. good. It's very effective. Yeah. <laughs> so what else did you have to kind of do to maximize that range? Because that, that's amazing, getting 235K is out of, you know, I mean, you're normally, you're yeah. safe fit at 200. It's like yeah. operational range. So what, no no heating, cooling, no sort of no fans uh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, on. yeah, that turn off the, yeah. the AC, of course. Are things like, you know, like, you know, radio and stereo and stuff, is that so uh, negligible yeah, to yeah, be yeah. not it's, a factor? It doesn't matter, yeah. Windows up for yeah, everything. Yeah, I can do them up. So uh, your windows up, no AC, 
Cooper Petty. Yeah. So it wasn't a great uh, 235 kilometers. Yeah, so I sometimes turn up the win- down the window and then, like Jim Carrey, put my head out yeah. of the car to get some <laughs> bit of fresh air. Yeah. And uh, often uh, it's wise to put a cup of uh, coffee beans in a car because that takes in the nasty smells. Oh, which smart. can yeah can leave behind uh, often. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. So I'd say maybe last question though, Viva, is um something amazing on your kind of bio and that you actually did a world first. You probably did several on this trip. Yeah, but, yeah. but the one that especially grabbed me because I've I've just been watching some documentaries and, and seen a lot about the country and you know, like Top Gear and you know, Anthony Bourdain and travel shows, which was you crossed Myanmar in an electric yeah. vehicle. Yeah. And you you were the first electric vehicle to cross the country? Yeah. So what was that like? Yeah. Like what were the looks you were getting or what was that experience yeah. like? Actually, I was not it was not only Myanmar which was the first. I was the first to cross Turkey, Iran, India, Myanmar, uh, Malaysia and Indonesia in an electric car. So five so five few, world yeah. records. Yeah. It's a big portion of the world. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, it's it's not like official record or something, but yeah, in all the countries that I visit, I talk with like electric vehicle associations or people mm. know about it. So yeah, if they say you're the first, then yeah, it's I, probably, I think uh, probably yeah. right. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Also, I talked to electric car owners in India, and they said, like, yeah, we're never going to cross the <laughs> this country in our EV. So uh, I'm pretty sure I was one of the first, and yeah, it's nice. It feels a bit like. Yeah, pioneering and everything. And uh, yeah, often the reactions you get from locals is quite interesting. Like, it's funny how they almost directly see the advantages. They all say, like, oh, no pollution, no pollution, mm-hmm. or cheap or something, when I explain them about that you just need to pay for electricity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you have the thought of when you go back to these countries in 20 years? Yeah. And everyone's driving EVs and they're yeah, all, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, solar pa- and maybe even yeah. like the highway services themselves are solar. I know there's, you know, yeah. there's experiments in that going on and, mm. and it's, it's, fr- the energy is all but free. The infrastructure is great. Yeah. The cars are either inductive charging as they go or, or yeah. so quick as just, are you going to be like, ah, oh, you, you guys don't know how lucky you have it. Yeah, or are yeah, you going to yeah. feel a bit of pride of like, Hey, I was part like, in some, some small way. Yeah. You know, I, I showed the world that this was possible. Uh, I think it's funny that it probably reminds me some locals who say in 20 years, like, do you remember this guy from 20 years ago who came knocking on my door asking to, to charge that, that odd-looking, uh, <laughs> weird uh, electric car? And then we had a big laugh about it, and it was all challenging and everything. I think it might, yeah, could be you, fun. You think they'll remember? Uh, I think they're probably, yeah, still, like... It's really funny how, in like, especially in Asia, there are some people who are just, uh, just ask them something, and I just spoken with them like for two minutes, and then somehow found me on Facebook, and they still keep sending me messages or something. So for some people, I think I, yeah, that made made an impact. Yeah, that's good. I I know that if if I if I'd known about this going on. Like I would have been so happy to host you, and I know oh, it's right. something I yeah. I would remember in twenty years' time. Okay, yeah, this is so cool. Yeah, uh, d- have you ever had sort of any any passengers along with you for any of the stretches? Yeah, the last not three that years? many. Not that many. Is Most that, of the time, I've been. Uh, did no alone. one ask? Because I would have totally been yeah, that kind of person. And be like, dude, let, let me jump in with you at least for two hundred k. I can catch yeah. the train back. Like this is cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, 
Ja, yeah, that I had, but also not, not that often, honestly. Yeah. Mm. In India, I had a journalist who drove with me from, from, yeah, from one, one side of the country to the other side. That was definitely the, the time I had, the longest time I had somebody with me. Yeah, how long did that and, take? Uh, We're talking weeks? Uh, yeah, two weeks or so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, besides that, yeah, just some, some hitchhikers, although they're also like a dying breath. You, know, yeah. you don't meet to see them often. No. In Australia, it's zero. In Australia, a few times I put out some requests, went to hostels, like offering right from a did a thing. I asked that from Brooke to Perth one time, and then yeah, nobody replied. <laughs> oh no! So I think that's just yeah, they they just probably want to drive from from Broome to Perth in one day. Because mm-hmm. I, I I I explained them like yeah, you have to stop every 200k, stay overnight. Oh, if you can't take that time a as a backpacker, when yeah. are you ever going to? That's really yeah, sad. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. It was not long ago. It was you, it, not even two generations ago that traveling 200 kilometers in a single day would have been yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, yeah, you're doing it pollution yeah. free. Yeah. Ah, how times <laughs> change. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for your generous yeah, my pleasure. generosity with your time. And, no, 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 all good. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, easy done. And thank you so much for joining us for episode 50 of Climactic. Now, don't run off just yet. There's a couple more things I have to let you know. First, if you want more of this interview, if you actually want to see what this car looks like, and I'd highly, highly, highly recommend it, just go to the show notes, click the top link, and it's a Facebook Live video I did with Viba in the driveway of the house where we recorded this interview. And we do a walk around the car. We talk about what it was actually like crossing the Nullarbor, going to Alice Springs, going to Uluru in this 200-kilometer-ranged 10-year-old EV. It's a really good video. It gives you a much better sense of what it is we're talking about practically, and I'd highly recommend checking out Viva's fantastic videos he's made from the road trip as well. He had a drone going. There's beautiful shots. There's really good just human moments and stories. He's a really good storyteller, and it was so great to get some of his time and have him on, because if I'd known beforehand that he'd been interviewed on Fully Charged, which I love, on Top Gear, my my favorite show of all time, I might have been too starstruck to do a good job in this interview. So I'm glad I only found that out after the fact. So check out those videos, check out Viba's videos, and that's it. If you are in Sydney, though, make sure to get along, if you can, to his kind of culmination party, his welcoming party into Sydney, and tell him you heard about him on Climactic. That would be great. Now, for a couple bits of housekeeping before I let this episode end, I'm just so excited it's episode 50. I kind of don't want this episode to end, and sorry about that. But it's on that note of being 50 episodes in, nearly a year of climactic, that we need to start talking about what comes next. What does year two look like? How does this thing become a bit more than just a hobby, just a fun creative outlet? How does this become what we want climactic to be, which is a social enterprise media company? So let me just break down what those things mean. A social enterprise is a form of business kind of like a B Corp. In fact, this might take the shape of being a B Corp, which simply means that social responsibility is embedded in the identity of the company. It's not just a nice to have. It's not a cherry on top. It's not a feather in the cap of the company. It's actually 
the purpose of the company is to do social good, but to use the capitalist system we're in to sustain it and to drive it and also give it incentive to grow and expand and to be the best it can be in competition with others. So what that looks like as a media company, because you might be familiar with this already in the form of, say, who gives a crap, the social enterprise toilet paper company, or thank you, the social enterprise hand wash company, and many more amazing examples besides that. But how does this work as a media company? Well, just to open the curtains a little bit and show you what it looks like behind the scenes, podcasts especially make money off two main things. How they support themselves is either by sponsorship, which is basically advertising, or direct support of listeners. We here at Climactic think we might be able to do a hybrid of both. Now, I'd be the first to tell you that advertising is really bad. At least, most of the advertising we're exposed to, especially in 2019, is terrible. It's dreck. It's lowest common denominator. But in podcasting, sponsorships tend to work really well. If a company were to approach a podcast, and if the company is something that the podcasters themselves like, that they use, that they approve of, then a personal endorsement or message of support, or even just reading the ad copy for that company can go a long way as a listener. You know, I've had this many times with podcasters that I've listened to for years, who I really like and trust and enjoy listening to. They'll read an ad for a company, and they tend to lend it some credibility and some trust. Now, I've never rushed out and just bought whatever that thing is from that company without doing a bit of research myself, and I'd recommend the same for you as well, but it is a bit more of a win-win model. So while I'm not announcing right now that Climactic has sponsors, and you'll notice that this episode, just like every previous episode, is ad-free, I do want to let you know that we are looking at it, we are considering it, and we'd love to hear your feedback. What do you think about sponsors on Climactic? Who would they have to be in order for you to be approving of that? If we only took on sponsors who are themselves B Corps or social enterprises or nonprofits, charities, the like, how would that sit with you? We'd love to be kind of a radically transparent about how we do this if we do. And you letting us know what you'd be comfortable with, what you wouldn't be comfortable with, would be extremely helpful. So please get in touch with us. Shoot us a message on Facebook. We're just at Climactic Show or drop me an email, hello at climactic.fm. Now, there'll be some of you out there who don't want to hear ads at all, and I get you. If I could afford to donate directly to all of the podcasts I listen to, and that's well over 100, and support them directly, they would very kindly in return, at least most of them, they would give me an ad-free feed. So most of these podcasts are already running sponsors, but I can get around that and just hear the show by chipping in sometimes as little as a dollar a month to them usually on the platform Patreon, which makes it really easy. Now, again, in the interest of full disclosure, I have been talking to Pausable, their Australia's version of Patreon, about if they would be the right platform to allow us to take direct support from you. Yes, you, the listener, if you like what we're doing here. If we could allow you to chuck in, say, a dollar a month, or five dollars a month, or three dollars a month, or for whatever reason, three dollars and seventy-nine cents a month, In order to have an ad-free show, in order to have access to potentially bonus episodes, which could take the form of live streams, it could take the form of extra interviews that I'm doing around town that otherwise might not make it into the feed, not because they're not good enough, but because there's simply too much content to really get out there. If you've been listening to Climactic from the beginning, or again, only jumped on recently, and have checked out our bonus episodes, thank you. 
because those bonus episodes, even though I love them and I think they're just as good as our main show every week, they do tend to get only about half the listenership. So I get the sense that if one episode of Climactic a week is enough for you, that's fine. But if you love what we're doing and want to hear everything, then we really want to give you more. But we don't want to start putting out one main show and, say, two bonuses a week if they're not really going to get the listenership. Because I don't think that's really fair on the special guests we've got on on those bonus episodes. So there's no conclusion here, and I'm sorry if I'm having a bit of a ramble, but I just wanted to really open up about what we're doing, commit an act of radical transparency, and really invite you into the conversation. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to hear what you'd be comfortable with. I'd love to hear what your experiences of past shows have been that you've loved, and if the way that they've decided to go about trying to support themselves was good or bad, any wins or fails, any lessons we could learn from would be greatly appreciated. All right, that's enough about that. That's more than enough. But with year two starting very soon, in just a couple of weeks, you will hear more about this coming soon. So now's the time to get in your feedback, thoughts, and opinions. I'd greatly appreciate it. And finally, it's my pleasure to announce we have a new collaboration. Shortly, as soon as I'm finished speaking, you'll hear the credits for the show. And you'll hear under those credits a piece of work from the General Assembly. Now, this is the band led by Matt Wicking, who's kind of a local legend here in Melbourne and across Australia in the climate community. He's been a facilitator at the Centre for Sustainable Leadership, an artist creating amazing pieces that really help us grapple with the life and times that we're living now in the Anthropocene. And he's an amazing musician. So it's with so much gratitude that I'm able to tell you that the music playing under our credits is a piece from the General Assembly, the band led by Matt Wicking. If you want to learn more about the band and Matt's other projects, just check out the show notes. I would highly recommend checking it out, especially his recent stage performance, Lost at Sea. Honestly, it will carry you away. And we are so happy to get to work with an artist of Matt's caliber. And so there it is. That's what's been going on with us. This has been episode 50. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us before. And just finally, just to get this out there, we've recently passed 20,000 downloads, which blows my mind because I'm from a town with less than 20,000 people. And most weeks, I can't even imagine the amount of you tuning in all together in one room, much less 20,000 people listening to Climactic. Thank you all so much for being part of that. And let's go forward together and create something really, really amazing. I've been your host, Mark Spencer, and you've been listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times. Thank you. Be well and take care of each other. This has been a production of Climactic, a podcast collective helping local communities tell their extraordinary stories. It's our mission to help elevate the voices of the everyday heroes we're surrounded by and inspire, sustain, and motivate the climate community. We love working with local environmental groups, individuals, nonprofits, and social enterprises. So if you've got a story to tell, please just get in touch. The Climactic Collective is Mark Spencer, Rich Bowden, Maxine Baisley, Georgia Scheel, and Bronwyn Gresham. Our producer is Hazel Fidicaro. Our digital design is by Rose Fidicaro. Our climactic theme is produced by Greg Drossi, 
and our logo, designed by Abigail Hawkins. We're also pleased to feature the music of the General Assembly. Thank you for listening to Climactic, the podcast for our climactic times. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.